This is Mark Gerson, and I'm the rabbi's husband. Hello, thank you for tuning in. I'm Mark Gerson, and I'm the rabbi's husband. And here, as ever, to unearth the inspiring, instructive, and highly practical wisdom of a biblical passage with a fellow seeker of biblical truth. I'm delighted today to welcome my good friend, Logan Byrne. Logan is my partner in and the CEO of Matterhorn Transactions, which provides data analytics to law firms across the US, Canada, and the UK. He is also a professor at Yale Law School and is the author of the critically acclaimed and popular book, Blood of Tyrants, George Washington, and the Forging of the Presidency. So Logan, welcome to The Rabbi's Husband. Thank you for having me, I'm very excited. So, um, Logan, of all the passages to choose from in, in the Bible, you chose Micah 4.4. 4. So um, please explain um, what's going on in and around Micah 4.4 4 and um, its significance to you. Absolutely. So like many, I'm, I have a ways to go on learning the Bible. I'm, I'm working on it. Um, so you could definitely correct me wherever I go wrong. But, but for this one, for Micah is really um, pertinent for George Washington and the American cause. So Washington referenced this part, Micah uh, chapter four, verse four in particular, about 50 times in his writings, uh, more than any other passage. And he viewed this, um, this book as um, a parallel to the United States fight for, for freedom. So he sort of saw um, the prophet uh, Micah uh, writing about the the Jewish people being uh, freed from the Babylonians to return to their promised land, where in the promised land they would have their own vine and fig tree. Right. So, so why, why don't we just um, wanting to uh, read the passage of Micah four four that that uh, that George Washington quoted uh, fifty times? Sure. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. So Washington references this in many different ways throughout his time. Um, sort of this passage sort of keeps coming back to him, coming back to it um, as he throughout his life. Uh, so Washington, there's not misconceptions about George Washington and the founders and religion. Uh, a lot of people saw they claim Washington was a, some sort of deist or he was not religious. Um, that could not be further from the truth. Washington was deeply religious. What was peculiar about Washington for his time was how open to other religions that he was. So people sort of would see Washington uh, traveling around and he, he was Anglican, um, but he would stop in. He was known to stop in at uh, Catholic services, other um, denominations. He'd stop in and attend their services. And people at the time saw this. They said, this is strange. This man's going to different churches. He's, he stands up to pray. He must not really believe. Uh, for Washington, and, and, actually, he, he also gave a famous speech at a synagogue, I believe, in Providence. Uh, so he's so in uh, Newport. He writes a letter to the Hebrew congregations of Newport um, that became uh, incredibly famous. And this is this all comes together because Washington viewed religion differently than the people at the time. So the people at the time saw um, there being, you know, one. So the English in England, there was one real church, the, the Anglicans, and then the other groups were tolerated. Washington thought this was horrible. Instead, he saw uh, the United States creating this new land 
in which there was religious liberty and every each person's religion was was celebrated and there was there was no one religion there was no official united states religion so everyone so george washington uh said that tolerance is simply not enough and we have to not tolerate others but we have to learn from and embrace others and celebrate them just like he did at the synagogue in newport exactly and so when Rhode Island was the last state to ratify the Constitution, so Washington was a little late getting there. But then he went to to campaign for the Constitution, and when he was finally inaugurated in 1790, uh, he finally visited, and he met a man named Moses Seixis. So Moses Seixis was, his parents were immigrants from Portugal, so he was a first-generation American, and they were Jewish. So understandably, the Jewish people were concerned. Anytime there's a sort of political turmoil, they, you know, they were concerned that they'd be the ones to get thrown under the bus. So he says, okay, well, you're, you're talking about religious liberty. Does that apply to us too? Or are you just talking about Christians? And Washington writes back in this uh, famous letter to the Hebrew congregations of, of Newport. He says, the United States, quote, gives to bigotry no sanction, to persecution no assistance, requires only that they, they who live under its protection should demean themselves as good citizens in giving it on all occasions their effectual support. Therefore, the children of the stock of Abraham shall sit in safety under his own vine and fig tree. So that's Micah 4 4 again. Yes, Micah back to Micah 4 4. So he this was radical. Um, this is this is a time when people didn't tolerate different branches of Christianity, let alone Judaism, um, very well. Right. And so the, the European countries saw toleration as the goal. While Washington said, no, 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 we have to do far better than that. So we, we like Micah was writing about, we have um, gotten away from our oppressors. This, for Washington, this was the British. Um, and we have this new land that he firmly believed God had, had, had willed and created for the American people. And so it's up to us to create our own utopia. So what's different from Washington's take than sort of a lot of other people's, um, where a lot of other, others stop with this passage, is it's sort of, okay, and they're back to the promised land and happily ever after. Washington doesn't speak about it that way. Instead, he views it as the opportunity to rebuild. So for, you know, if he saw for the, for the Jewish people, they, they um, returned to Israel and it's up to them to sort of rebuild the, the community there. In a similar way, he viewed um, God helping the American people to create this great nation. It's up to them to create their utopias, their, whether that's their own uh, vine fig tree at, at their house or more largely um, across the country. So it's a much more um, active approach to the passage than sort of a passive one. So did George Washington um, read Micah as a young man and learn from that passage that Did he say, Micah's not talking about tolerance. Micah's talking about embrace. Micah says he wants everyone to sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. And this comes, as the passage says, from the Lord Almighty. Is that what inspired Washington to be so magnanimous and so open in his consideration of other faiths? He doesn't clearly confirm that, but I think so. I, you know, he, he writes about this, this really stuck with him. This is sort of the passage for him. And, and it's interesting how in different ways he, he, he depicts it in different ways throughout his life. Huh. Um, so, you know, going back to the issue of, you know, was Washington religious? Um, and the answer is absolutely yes. 
he viewed his, his, his person sort of having God was on his side. God was on the American side. God was on his side. So this is a man who, during a time when generals would be um, sending orders from afar, they'd be up on the hill far away watching the battle. Washington was literally on the front lines. There's a story from the uh, Battle of Princeton when a soldier, American soldier, wrote that Washington had charged between the two lines of, of soldiers, firing volleys across from one another. Washington rode right in there, and the soldier wrote, I put my hat over my eyes because surely the general had to have been caught in the crossfire. But from the smoke emerged a booming voice saying, it's a fine fox chase, boys, charge. So Washington would do these, people thought were suicidal charges, but it's because he would write about God being on the side of the American cause and on his side personally, he saw himself as protected. And that comes up over and over again. So, so his faith was something that, that he was with him all the time in everything he did, whether it was as a president, as an intellectual, or as a military man, it, his, his faith, his religion was always with him. It, it was, um, and, and quite, it was palpable. It, he, would, he, would, it was, he would feel it during the battle. He had huh. one battle, he had three horses shot out from underneath him, and his answer was, get me another horse. Three horses shot out from underneath him while he was yes. on them? Yes, he was on them. And he, his, his response to Tom was, get me another horse. The, America, the, the soldiers around him were terrified, because if you lose Washington, you lose the war. He's, he's the one galvanized. He, he was that important during the war? Absolutely. The, the indispensable man. He's the most important person. That's um, interesting because, you, know, you know, De Gaulle famously said that the graveyard is full of indispensable men, but you're saying Washington was actually the exception. Actually the exception. So not only looking back, but during his time, people said it. Everyone was saying it, that he was the person who um, was, without Washington, there was no war. There was did no the British war. know that? Absolutely. The, did, they, did they try to eliminate Washington accordingly? Oh, absolutely. So King George actually after the war called George Washington the greatest man in the world. But he said he said the full quote was if he um does not proclaim himself king, he will be the greatest man in the world. And sure enough, in uh Newburgh, New York, there's a Newburgh conspiracy when a lot of soldiers, American soldiers, towards the end of the war, want to march on the capital of Philadelphia and take a section, a chunk of America for the military and make themselves king and make Washington king and make themselves the sort of leaders of this area. Washington, um, he, you know, was not a great order. He tried to give a speech about saying, oh, well, Congress, you know, they're going to pay us. Don't worry. We'll get the money together eventually. Um, but while he's giving this speech and trying to let, read um, what he's trying to say, he, he's squinting and struggling. Um, so he reaches into his, his jacket and pulls out glasses. Now, for you and I, glasses, no big deal. Everyone has glasses eventually. Um, but for them, it was sort of seen as... Um, very unmanly, sort of a showing vulnerability that you'd never want to display, especially a military man like Washington. But by Washington, Washington pulled out his glasses and says, forgive me, but I've gone blind in the service of my country. And that melts the entire military, um, the, all the, the officers. They said, my goodness, if this man has given so much to create this country, how can we go um, back on him and, and destroy the liberty he fought to create? And then sure enough, Washington um, goes back to his vine and fig tree which for him, he writes about Mount Vernon. It's quite literally being his vine and fig tree because he turns in his sword as commander-in-chief after the war to, for a plow. Um, so he just, called his own home. He, he thought of his own home as, this is my vine and my fig tree. Everyone has theirs. This one's mine. Yes, exactly. Mount he Vernon saw Mount Vernon as his sanctuary. Um, well, it's his, very interesting because what you're saying is that um, Washington was a religious man. He was a man of faith. And 
because he was a religious man, not in spite of it, but because he was a religious man, he embraced other religions because Micah told him to. Exactly. Exactly. He, he sort of saw God in everyone. So he saw different approaches to God. They weren't almost not necessarily more correct than the other. Um, because he was a religious man, he, that had him, you know, acting radically for this time. And, and he's the father of our country, of course. So, so it's because he's a man of such faith, because he's so inspired by Micah 4.4, because he's so religious, therefore he doesn't tolerate, but he embraces all other religions and thus gives birth to the flowering of faiths and the embrace of faiths that uh, define the best in America to this day, even as it was radical then. That's absolutely right. So people, and this is why there's all sorts of interesting theories about Washington not being religious, because how could someone, you know, if, if you're a devout Anglican, how can you be writing these sorts of things to the, to the Jewish people in Newport? How can you be attending Catholic service in New York? How can you be doing these things if you're actually uh, a devout Anglican? And Washington's um, general response is, you're missing the whole point. Right. Look at Micah, look at, you know, look at the Bible. What are we actually learning? And that's sort of God is all around us and there are different ways to, to God. Right. And, and, and we see Washington's influence um, at the time, as, as you know, as well as anybody. I mean, look at the, the Liberty Bell, right? The, the Liberty Bell, right, comes from the Leviticus 2510. Proclaim liberty throughout the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Right from Leviticus 2510. So the founders, either inspired by Washington or in conjunction with Washington, were taking their inspiration from the Hebrew Bible as well. And having it define who they were and putting it all over the place and 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 putting its stamp on the America that we love today. Absolutely. And it's interesting, sort of the, the idea of separation of church and state where, you know, this is the idea where they did not want the United States government being like England, where there was a, a state religion. I, I feel, you know, in modern times, it's sort of become flipped around, sort of used against religion when it was actually the opposite. It was meant to sort of allow various religions to flourish and not have the United States sort of taking a side. Um, and Washington helped pioneer that. Um, as the first president, they weren't quite sure which way this is going to go. But for him, it was really important to protect the various religious faiths. And, and he had fought and he had, um, you know, used a sword um, to, to overthrow the oppressors, which were the British for him, and create this land. And then you were safe. And now it was incumbent upon that sort of interesting. That's where he didn't finish there. He kept going and saying, but now it's incumbent upon you to, to practice to um, your faith, to be good citizens and build this utopia as opposed to sort of just waiting for it to come to you. Right. So uh, it's just so interesting that if when we think about the founders, um, we think about Washington preeminently, but also Jefferson and also Franklin. Now, Jefferson and Franklin had a debate about what the seal of the United States should be. And the debate was about which scene from the Exodus it should be. They both agreed it should be from the Exodus. It was just yeah. which interpretation of the Exodus should be on the Great Seal. Oh, yeah. I mean, so I mean, they thought they what was interesting is I feel like um, a lot of times throughout history, um, you see monuments built generations later. You see sort of the importance solidifying down the road. Uh, what's so interesting then when they didn't know that this would work, they thought first they thought they're going to lose the war. They were losing left and right. They lost more battles than they won. Is that right? And after the war, yeah, Washington was retreating most of the war. After the war, the country is almost falling apart because of Shays' Rebellion, in which people say, you know, continue the, the rebellion. Instead of overthrowing the, the British crown, we're going to start throw, overthrowing the Massachusetts legislature. Um, so it just keeps, violent rebellion keeps happening. And so that's what we have 
you know, start the constitution, we write the constitution and try to have a new country because the old, you know, when we just create, it's falling apart already. So anyway, so everything's going wrong and it does not look like this thing's going to work, but still they viewed what they're doing in biblical um, proportions. They sort of saw this is, this is what we're doing is biblical. This is really important. This is, um, this is God's will. This is, um, you know, they, we see so many parallels between the foundation of the American state with, with the, um, the Jewish people in the promised land. And they made those parallels over and over again. Well, it really reinforces what, uh, what I learned uh, last week when Congressman Josh Gottheimer was on the rabbi's husband. And, and he talked about the, uh, the passage that says, uh, when, the, when, when there is no vision, the people will be without restraint. Sometimes interpreted as people will, will perish, but it's really when there's no vision, people will be without restraint. So what you're saying is it's because the founders had this vision that was literally of biblical or prophetic proportions that they were able to induce the restraint that enabled the country to be formed and to move forward in spite of all odds and continuing opposition that I suppose they probably made the analogy to the Jews in the desert in the book of Numbers, like the rebellions never seemed to stop. Mm-hmm. But the project actually works because it's guided by God. That's right. They, they definitely viewed it that way. Um, you know, different different founders. You know, they weren't a monolithic group. So, so Jefferson was interesting. So he, you know, people say, oh, he's a deist. He didn't really believe in religion. Um, he he had. I mean, he had sort of interesting views where he thought more broadly he did believe in um, there being one God. Um, and he, he saw Christianity as the best, um, but sort of a very flawed way to getting there. He, he didn't see. He saw Jesus as best moral philosopher as opposed to sort of the the the, the son of god um so he had different views um that again at the time were not um taken lightly and, but but even he sort of saw this um this, this this american experiment as um being you know derived from god and sort of freedom and flourishing and human flourishing and liberty being sort of a natural right bestowed by god right and if you go to the uh, u.s capitol building now you'll see uh a bust or well, bust on the wall, I'm not sure what it's called, but bust on the wall of uh, 23 lawgivers throughout history. 11 are facing one way, 11 are facing the other way. Moses is in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. They, they this is the founder's law. vision. Yeah, they saw laws being derived ultimately from the Ten Commandments. And, um, and, and this was, you know, it was, it was a, you know, a bit of a dance where they didn't want to be imposing anyone religion, but at the same time, it was in no way seen. They never expected religion to be sort of be stamped out by this, um, by freedom of religion. They saw it as allowing people to um, have their own religion and religion to flourish, as opposed to sort of now it's sort of been, you know, turned around the, the freedom of religion sort of been used against religion as opposed to uh, protecting them. Now, when Washington was making the case for the Constitution or making the case for freedom of religion as being a bulwark of the Republic, did he use Micah to justify it in the sense that, that did he say, as it says in Micah 4.4, and then talk about the vine and the fig tree and say, as the new birth of freedom, which I know wasn't his phrase, it was Lincoln's, but, but as, as the new birth of freedom, this is the kind of um, principle that we should inculcate? So in private letters, he did. Um, publicly, he didn't speak a whole lot about religion. That's something that sort of fed the whole idea that he wasn't religious. Um, and that's just because he saw, viewed religion as, as a private matter that was for, for you and your discussion with God personally, within your family, maybe within this sort of a, a tight-knit community and your close friends who talk about religion. Um, so he didn't, there, there are not a lot of passages that come to mind of him sort of citing the Bible to, or, or, or Micah, you know, quite publicly. But in his private letters, yes. So it was always on his mind, but part of what he believed was that this is a private matter, so I'm not going to use it publicly, but it's always part of who I am. And 
in all my private communications, I'll, that's, I, I can't go without it because that's, it's always on my mind. Yeah. In, in individual liberties, there's something, um, you know, they're, they're a God given. So this is, this is helps Washington have a clear divide um, between fighting revolution and violent rebellion against the king to then after we win the Revolutionary War, to then uh, once the rebellion keeps going on, keeps continuing. And what he, he says is absolutely not. Once you have a voice, once you're able to exercise your liberty and you exercise your vote, you're able to run for office, participate civically, then violent, there's no place for violence because you're, you're, once you've established that realm for you to be, um, have liberty and thrive, then it's incumbent on, upon you to, to work for it. And if you don't get what you want, if you lose the election, there is no place for violence. Um, well, Logan, thank you for such an interesting conversation about this magnificent passage, which is, I think, uh, vaguely familiar to so many people as it was to me, but never never really had any idea about how important it is to was to Washington and how important it was consequently to the founding of the republic and the religious freedom that, that, we, all, um, that we all treasure. So moving from one text, and this is always a concluding question, moving from one text, the Bible, to a very another text, um, is Andre Malraux's 1968 book, Anti-Memoir. And uh, he writes in the book, he said, um, I ran into a man with whom I served in the war, and this man had saved a lot of Jews and then had become a parish priest. So I said to the priest, in all of your years of hearing confessions, what are two things that you've learned about mankind? And the priest said, I've learned two things. He said, one, everyone is much less happy than he seems. And two, there is no such thing as a grown-up person. So Logan, in all of your years as a historian and as a teacher of history, as someone who's been immersed in George Washington and all those around him, taking what you've learned from that, what are two things that you've learned about mankind? I've learned that persistence is key. Almost no one that, you know, gets anything off the bat and sort of that's worth fighting for. Um, so Washington, I think, teaches us that, um, you know, persistence and grit is really um, the key to, to creating a better world. And, and I also agree with his his quote about sort of you know no one the grown up. Um, I think that sort of dovetails with my my view is that you never stop learning and never stop questioning, because you know once you sort of become set in your ways, it could go horribly wrong as we've seen throughout history. But the, the key is always question. You know you don't you don't what you think was right yesterday, you have to question again today. And I think it's important to keep your mind open and flexible like a child, um, so you're constantly learning and adapting to new things. Well, Logan, thank you for such an interesting conversation um, and for your friendship of now many years and for uh, coming to The Rabbi's Husband. Thank you. I really appreciate this. 